Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. got a very chiptune retro technology inspired show this evening and we thought we'd have a bit of an unconventional opening while we try and get some very retro tech working in the studio this evening. I am joined by Rowena Murray. Hello there. Great to have you here. And we have Maze Wallen also being thrown in the deep end this evening on the panel. Great to have you. All right, we're in for a bit of fun this evening. Tonight we'll be joined by Square Sound's chip music and retro technology uh, star, Kinobit. Uh, <laughs> we'll be we'll be speaking to him coming up in a little moment. But before we uh, get there, we uh, also want to flag that later on in the show we're going to hear from Ruby Quayle, who attended the Melbourne Sex Tech Hackathon, and that was something that we had an interview about a couple of weeks ago ahead of that. So we will give you a gentle content warning for just some mature you know topics being discussed in the second half of the show this evening. But it'll all be in a very educational informative kind of way. Before we get there, it's been a massive week in news. Rowena, what's been going on? Well, um, first up, a business is aiming for a 2050 zero emissions um, without having to mandate a target. But politically, it's been a little bit of a hot potato. There are some serious divisions within the coalition and those who do want to hit those zero emissions are leaking plans to the media. Yeah, what's fascinating about this is it's coming from within the Liberal Party. It's Mm. saying we cannot get enough traction in our party. We will not put our name to this and it's not going to be called policy. It will be called a strategy to get us to zero emissions. Which is, yeah, which is very interesting. And what's being leaked is, um, you know, of course, on the condition of anonymity, they these coalition politicians believe the roadmap should include, sounds sensible to me, goals for certain technological advances, <laughs> like a date when a certain percentage of new cars sold should be electric. Yeah, they're also um, dancing around whether or not to have a price on carbon emissions. And they really are in labour territory at mm. this point. It's um, it's such a weak signal, unfortunately, for the coalition that they cannot get a united voice on what their agenda is here. I think differentiation on this issue will be key for the next election. So keep a watching brief on this space. Absolutely. Also today, the Australian Space Agency opened in Adelaide. It was announced 18 months ago that they were going to invest in this. They uh, estimate that the space industry in Australia is currently worth $3.9 billion, but the plans are to triple this to $12 billion, mm. um, and this space agency is a big part of that. You can read more about that on the ABC if you're interested. Yes. And Australian MPs Andrew Wilkie and George Christensen will be visiting Julian Assange ahead of his US extradition hearings next week, where he's facing 18 charges, including conspiring to hack government computers and violating an espionage law. The Bring Him Home campaign is calling for Australian government support. Yes, uh, so that visit happened today and I just happened to catch the the news where they were reporting back to the press outside of 
where they'd met with Julian and, and said that they had concerns for, you know, the obvious deterioration of his mm. health and, and particularly his mental health and, and the concerns there. Um, and then they had a bit of a clip from one of his lawyers who said that, look, the process of extradition could take up to 18 months. It could take longer. It's going to be a long involved thing. We'll be hearing about this for a while. But even if this doesn't proceed through this avenue, there's many other extradition avenues. So it's no guarantee that he won't be uh, sent off to the US. So it doesn't look like this saga is going to be over anytime yeah, soon, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Um, in happier news, as heard in September, the games entertainment company Fortress is opening a three-floor venue in Melbourne and it's scheduled to open in the Emporium in March. Um, so we can tell you that the recent news is that Dell and their Alienware line have been announced as hardware and infrastructure partners. So that bodes well. Um, at first, we thought it was going to be an esports only venue. However, now they've said, in addition to, and I'm going to quote, <laughs> hardcore PC video gamers, Fortress <laughs> is hoping to attract console gamers, casual gamers, and people who enjoy board games and other tabletop games. So that's actually a really welcome expansion on their vision for this location in Melbourne. Oh, definitely. It would. I think it would have been a huge missed opportunity if they hadn't opened it up. So it's incredibly exciting, and I personally am quite pumped about it. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hey, we are very excited because Square Sounds is the world's longest-running chiptune and retro technology-focused festival, and it runs in Melbourne and t- Tokyo. And the next event is this Friday and Saturday in Melbourne. Headliner Kino Bit, aka Fabio Bellotti, joins us tonight to tell us all about it, straight from Italy and a little bit of touring around Australia. Welcome, Fabio. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. It is brilliant to have you here. Um, so we've got Ro and Maze and I in studio with you this evening, and we are all really into the sort of things you do and quite excited because you've got a couple of gadgets in front of you. Would you like to tell us about those? Uh, I brought my two, two Game Boys, which is uh, really easy because I, I used to be a drummer, to, I used to like big instruments with me, and now everything I play fits into a picnic box. And I have two original uh, Nintendo Game Boys, the first model, the, the DMG, uh, from 1989. And uh, yeah, that's uh, the key to everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, how did you first start transitioning from, say, drumming to this amazing chiptune type of world? I used to be a broke, young artist, and we had a punk band, and we needed to record the demos to, to get our music out. And the studios were very expensive, and so we did it DIY. We chose to... We invaded... Our uh, our singer's um, uh, cellar. Yes. And we we put a computer in there Uh and we started recording with everything we had. So I I was the geeky one and I needed to learn how to use sequencers to put everything together. And then my band broke up 
as often happens, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I started getting into electronic music because before that I was just, you know, the average punk drummer in the 90s, uh, uh, everything electronic was, was bad. <laughs> and uh, uh, by uh, learning to use sequencers, I, I learned to, to like and to find uh, what's interesting in the electronic sounds, and uh, since my band broke up, I started producing electronic music and uh, eventually I bumped into a synthesizer, into VSTs yes. that uh, emulated very poorly, actually, <laughs> <laughs> no. the sound, the 8-bit sounds that I really loved from the, from the 80s. That, that, was, that was my musical imprinting. Yes. And uh, shortly after... I found out that I could I could do it the hardcore way with uh, a proper Game Boy, and that was ten years ago, and uh, that's how I started. And it was really liberating for me to to do it this way, and I never stopped. Yes, I can imagine. I think a few of us have been on that punk to exploration, and then acceptance, and then love of electronic music. But this is such a particular vision that you have. Can you maybe try and get some sounds coming out of one of these oh, and yeah, give us a course. bit of a sense of? Because we could still talk while this is going on. Ah, uh, yeah, you? okay. So yeah. this is. Um, I, I don't know how geeky or uh, extreme your audience is, but this is some something let's, let's midway. Push you in there. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if something comes out. We'll see how we go. Is it working? I've got it on. Let me But while we're um, having some experiments, I must say this is the first time I've seen an actual metal Star Wars C-3PO music kit. Yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. which is fantastic. it was actually, a, it's, it's what I call a perfect fit because I was uh, traveling for different reasons. It was not about music. And I, I stumbled in, into this uh, lunchbox that fits perfectly two Game Boys and my cards. And uh, since I already chose my my moniker, which is uh, Kenovit, it it all went together. It all came together. So it's just uh, chip tune Game Boys, a Star Wars reference, <laughs> and uh, you have my box. And this little box traveled with me all over the world with my Game Boys, and it, it's destroyed. <laughs> it looks very well-traveled, it's marvellous. Yes, it's well-loved. <laughs> so, Fabio, uh, at the Square Sounds events, each of the musicians and DJs are paired with people who are going to be performing visuals. How did how did you get paired up, and, and how did you you know work with, with the visual person? Uh, it, the really cool thing about visuals in Chiptune the, the really cool thing about, I, I, I think, the, the old uh, micro music, chip tune, 8-bit scene is that everybody is doing things differently. And uh, sometimes at an event uh, you uh, have time to work in advance with the, with the DJ and uh, sometimes you don't. Yes. But uh, that's what amazes me because uh, you get to be surprised and uh, you can definitely uh, be matched to something surprising and uh, everybody does his own, their own thing yes and in it's that that is true both in the sound of music and in the in the visuals there is there are people doing uh, uh, analog visuals vhs visuals uh, 
Commodore 64 visuals, Atari visuals, uh, or uh, um, like algorithm visuals, like yes. line coding visuals. Yeah, so I was wondering, you know, are you aware if any of the visuals will be sort of triggered by the sounds? Uh, 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 yes. 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 Oh, that, 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 it, it's, it's going to happen in a way or another. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's the best part. So, look, we have an amazing uh, lineup at Square Sounds this year. There's, um, I'm just trying to get to my, my overarching schedule. Yeah, so, you know, some of the people playing on Friday night are people like Exile Faker and Cytone and Cyanide Danson um, before getting up to your set, but there's a whole lot of other people as well. Um, is there anyone on the lineup that you're particularly excited to, to meet up with and to hear perform? Well, I'm really excited about uh, Cyanide Danson because we are on a, on a streak. Like, we, we played, uh, for completely random reasons, uh, a few shows in a row yes. together. And she has a very powerful and pure Game Boy sound that I really, really love. Because the, the thing that amazes me about the Game Boy... I mean, chiptune is not only Game Boy. There are several ways to do it. Uh, you can also do it with modern PCs, and that's completely yes. fine. It's just a different approach. But what amazes me about the Game Boy is that Everybody, even though it's the same machine, everybody gets something different yes. out of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been loving to play shows with uh, uh, Cyanide Danson because she has uh, this very genuine and powerful sound and happy sound <laughs> out of the Game Boy, which is uh, kind of different from mine because I, I tend to be darker. And ah. I think it, I think it's it's great. It's going to be too. a good journey. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's it's a good match, and I always have fun hearing your sets. So when you start composing your set, tell us a bit about how you work. Like, what sort of cartridge are you using? Do you start with a generic cartridge, or is that hacked as well? No, it's um, you can use several types of cartridges, but the the thing is that you use. Uh, uh, it's a ROM. I, I use a, um, a software called the LSDJ, Little Sound DJ, developed by Johan Kotlinski several years ago, like 12, 13, something like that. And I composed the music on this software. So basically, you can get this software on any cartridge on which you can load or flash a ROM. I use this kind of old uh, uh, USB cards. There are several more uh, modern ones working with uh, micro SDs, but there are several kinds of cards and all of them are good. And what I usually like to say is that uh, uh, what I do is uh, it's like having two, two turntables, uh, yes. but instead of turntables, it's Game Boys. And instead of vinyls, uh, I've got cards and only I have those cards because I wrote the songs. The music. It's uh, like if that. a DJ composed all of the music yeah. that they were mixing. And, and at the same time right. you have uh, much more uh, um, action on on what you can do with the with the tracks. So it's like having uh, vinyls on steroids. So can you um write your music in such a way that all of the action buttons on the Game Boy will let you manipulate things? Can you tie the buttons to, you know, different filters? Uh, it, 
um, not with LSDJ. Right. It doesn't work exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Also because you don't really have filters uh, yes. on, on the Game Boy. I, I wish. <laughs> I, I wish I had filters. Uh, what you... Uh, let's say that you, of course, you do your homework and you do uh, lots of ninety percent of the composing at home, and uh, what you can do using LSDJ only is uh, kind of like you can activate scenes in Ableton, mm. and so you can basically trigger pattern, trigger another pattern, mix and match. Uh, and uh, or just uh, uh, depending on how the crowd is uh, reacting, uh, you can uh, take a part and loop it. Uh, oh, amazing! And, uh, okay, you, or you can take a part, loop it, uh, uh, slow it down, and mix, mix, uh, beat match it with uh, the other Game Boy. So it's basically like having uh, more power on what you can usually do with. Uh, a CDJ or wow. a vinyl, but this is the way I work. Uh, there are several, several different uh, approaches to uh, to chip tune. Um, even on the Game Boy, you can use uh, uh, Nanoloop, which is a completely different uh, software and beast that is less suitable for some kinds of performances and more suitable for other kinds of performances. And uh, and then again, you can just uh, uh, slave your Game Boy to a to a synthesizer. You can do all kinds of things. I what I do is kind of uh, uh, simple and pure because I just use one Game Boy at a time because I really enjoy the challenge of the limitation and I really like the fact that this was the Game Boy I used as a kid yes. and we somehow managed to make it sound big and plug it into big sound systems, mm -hmm. but there are several different approaches and it's what makes chiptune so interesting to me. So Fabio, what sorts of people are you seeing at these events? Are they all people who have that nostalgia for these games like you or do you see very young people also? Uh, well, nostalgia is a word that somehow, somehow I, I hate <laughs> and, uh, and luckily... There is not much nostalgia at this kind of events. First, because there is younger people, like 90% of the people that usually attend these events are way younger than the Game Boy. The Game Boy is from 1989, and there's lots and lots of people from the 90s, even not only in the audience, but also in the artists. So uh, for obvious reason for these people nostalgia is not a factor and also the sound while the sound while, while nostalgia is of course uh, some kind of side effect of this because some people knew these sounds like for me these sounds were part of my upbringing yes. and they are very special to me but even then nostalgia is not the right keyword to me no, because uh, we do uh, so much different things and we try... It's so experimental. It's hard to think of it as nostalgic. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. To me, the, the Game Boy is like... I, I always say that it's like a, a guitar from the 19th, from 1969 yeah. <laughs> and you can do classic rock with that, but you can do noise. And, mm. uh, and so... Nostalgia, for some people, it's a part of the experience, and I 
I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. But I think that for most of the people involved, uh, it's all about uh, exploration, uh, experimentation, and uh, finding uh, new ways to use old stuff. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, some of the the stars in the in the genre um, playing at Tokyo's uh, last Square Sounds was Chip Tanaka, who's in his early sixties and you know composed for Nintendo and was quite amazing. And you did see in the audience there a real range of people attracted to to the Square Sounds gigs. I think because of the diversity of music offered. Um, so if you had to invite someone along to this festival and they'd never been before, you know how how would you welcome them into the community? How would you set their expectations? Oh, well, I, I always say I, I really love the community and I always say come because you will find it interesting. Uh, maybe you will love it, but even if you don't love it, you will find it very interesting and it won't be wasted time. And if you find it interesting, you will find a very uh, welcoming community which is uh, uh, not only usually inclusive, but also uh, very open in the sharing of knowledge. So if you, I think it has a very hacker mindset because basically we do hack our consoles and our <laughs> video games, but yeah. there is uh, this very nice mentality of sharing knowledge. So if you come to these events and you are interested in how it's done, people will tell you how it's done. And if you show real interest in uh, doing it yourself, uh, you will find uh, uh, several resources of knowledge and you will be welcomed into the community. That's incredible, Fabio. It's so brilliant to hear uh, all about your perspective on uh, Square Sounds and what brought you into this community. Fabio, thank you so much for joining us. People should look out for you as Kenobit on there. Um, thank you for having me. It's great. Do you want to shout out to your Bandcamp page at oh, all? Oh, yeah. It's uh, kenobit.bandcamp.com. And most of the stuff on there, it's uh, pay what you want and don't be embarrassed to pay nothing. I just want my music to be shared and listened to. I love that. And Kenobit is spelt K-E-N-O-B-I-T dot bandcamp dot com. Thank you so much for joining us this Thank evening. Thank you so much. This was, this was a lot of fun. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Beautiful middle waypoint in the show. We're getting ready to bring another guest in and um, we're contemplating how we're going to juggle those schedules and get along to Square Sounds this weekend. Uh, Fabio's set I've seen is just outrageously late at night. He's, he's got the closing sets and we know that he knows how to end a party because you don't get that slot for nothing. Um, but that is, I'm just, I'm thinking it's going to, it's going to tax me. Can you, can you, can you stay up that late with me, Ro? <laughs> I often, you know, go out to shows and think, I don't think I can do this, but I always tough it out. And I'm always proud when I do tough it out. So <laughs> yeah, it is pretty great. Um, well, anytime Ruby wants to join us in studio, that would be awesome. We are getting ready for her. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we spoke with Bryony Cole. We did. Bryony is absolutely, um, she's a fabulous spokesperson for the, the tech industry as well as the sex tech industry specifically. And Bryony is actually the founder of Australia's very first 
sex tech hackathon, which kicked off in Sydney um, and recently ran in Melbourne. So a big part about what we wanted to talk to Ruby about um, this evening was what happened, what came out of it and what fabulous new technologies were brained into almost reality. Ro, were you like me? Were you stalking all the hashtags over the weekend? So much fun. Yeah. I I love Twitter for that I had a a mentor who'd flown uh, from interstate to to check it out and I thought, oh, I'm missing out on that as well. It was such a shame. But um, (laughs) look, I do want to do a shout out to our audience at the moment. We want to do a content warning for any sensitive ears out there. We're going to be discussing sex-related technologies in a frank and informative way. If this content isn't for you, we understand. Please turn us down for the next 20 minutes at most and then we'll be back with some more technology-based news and obviously more amazing radio broadcasting with Mr. Anthony Carew. So uh, right now we'd like to say, hey, you're listening to Bite Into It. It's uh, Rowena, Mays and Vanessa here and we'd love to welcome Ruby Quayle into the studio. Hello. (laughs) Hey, Ruby. So um, I... First met you a couple of years ago at a technology festival. You've got a much better memory than I do about how long ago that was. Um, but at, you're an industrial designer by trade originally, um, or by training, I originally, guess. Originally, by training, yeah. yeah. I sort of dabbled between kind of industrial, more sort of human centered design kind of areas. So it's between service design, industrial design, user interaction design. Yeah, and um, where, sorry, Ro, did you have a question? Oh, no, no. Um, well, one of the things that we wanted to have um, a chat to you tonight, Ruby, about was basically the Sex Tech Hackathon. So it's essentially a weekend-long program which is designed to establish a series of sex tech products from idea to prototype. And the goal was to create a series of business-ready startups for you know future development and investment through the hackathons. It's all about converting ideas into viable businesses. So that's the concept, and we were really curious to hear about how um, you know you've obviously attended, you were um, part of a really successful team over the course of the weekend. Um, what sort of existing industry skills did you bring into the hackathon and your, your team's brainstorm? Um, well, I, from my sort of industrial design training, I had this sort of background in sort of understanding of materials and this sort of, kind of design theory around kind of human centered design and how people sort of use products and use um, these, I guess, toys, yeah. <laughs> these <laughs> objects. Yes. Um, so there was that aspect of it. I'm also sort of a trans woman and I had had this kind of connection around this particular community that has a, a more interesting, or I guess a more, I'll say novel compared to sort of, I guess, what would normally be found within the, the sort of mm. sex industry and the adult industry that have, have previously been the ones who have been in charge of this You're industry. right. It's such an asset whenever you're at a hackathon to bring in as many diverse perspectives as possible. I know that's what I look for mm. in a team. Were you, was it the first hackathon style event that you'd attended? No, I'd done a hackathon a couple years ago. In fact, that was what ended up leading me to, to meeting <laughs> meeting you, Vanessa. But um, I had done a few game jams before, and so I'm, I'm aware of that kind of quick process of kind of coming up with concepts and developing, um, yeah, ideas <laughs> developing really ideas and, yeah. and presentations and, and pitches. So what was the structure of this particular hackathon? What sort of groups did they try and separate you into to help you form functional teams? Okay, so the, the basic um, structure was that there were sort of three kind of, shall I say, sort of problems that we, sort of problem areas that we were going into. There were, and each sort of problem area had sort of a, a sponsor or a, a sort of company sponsor who was kind of 
uh, like looking after that one. So Helpful. the f- mm-hmm. first one, which was sponsored by Love Honey, who are an online um, sex toy seller, was looking at um, changing, you know, innovating on sex toy designs. Where can we take this in the future, particularly mm-hmm. around like pleasure and, and opening new markets there? The second one, which was the problem area that I mostly was dealing with, was sponsored by Joni Condoms who is a, a condom brand that is looking at like a empowering more women to take more control of, of, of their kind of barrier protection and their, their sort of... So more sexual health, that's Yeah, more sexual health things. Yeah. So that was looking at how to, um, you know, change the conversation around that and how to make products that are more appealing. So mm. that was sort of where I was situated. Um, and the third one was looking at disability and looking at ability and sexual health. Um, and so all these these various sort of problems brought in a huge range of, of expertise in that. So there were designers, there were people who were from the sex industry, people who were like occupational therapists, there were educators, because everyone wanted kind of a everyone had some vested interest in, in improving this this industry. So it was a real mixed bag of people with some really great projects to come out of it. So heading in, were you aware of those themes? You know, did you go in with something in mind or were you just open to the experience of ideation in, in the in the moment? I was I was very more open to ideation in the moment. <laughs> um, my connection with it was one of the uh, one of the sponsors and one of the judges, Judith Glover, who is a academic at Aramata University, was a lecturer of mine when I was studying um, and me and some friends who also came from that course had all had this this sort of innovative interest in, in sexual health and um, or me in particular when we queer health. And I think that sort of spawned us. We were all kind of invited or sort of like pushed <laughs> in to join this to sort of uh, lend our expertise and also kind of um, be involved in this. So I think I sort of came ah. into it with this this sort of hope that I would be able to find something that I could that I felt like I could contribute to and that and that happened which was good so I didn't come in with any specific ideas in mind oh fantastic so I participated in the Sydney um sex tech hackathon a a little while back and um I I totally agree with you I think the the diversity of the expertise and the personalities that were there is absolutely fantastic and it really does put so many fresh spins which is obviously exactly what you want in one of those 48 hour pressure cooker you know, ideas sessions. Um, one of the other things I found really notable was how absolutely supportive um, the the organisers and the conveners are. It is truly a, a bit of a safe space in terms of ideas. They're, they're walking around connecting you. They are saying, right, I think we've got some expertise from here we can borrow. Um, so, you know, did you manage to sort of network, have chats and ideas outside of your team once you formed that team? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was a huge amount of mentors and people coming in and out of, of, of the sort of spaces we are. And I think um, what was different from other hackathons is there wasn't very much of that sort of competitive attitude. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of that came from the fact that 90% of the, the I guess, participants were women. Yep. There was maybe... Um, uh, less than 10 guys, ma- men in that entire group, which was different to a lot of experiences, particularly in the adult industry. And yeah. I think so f- sort of afterwards, I think everyone was less competing about, you know, winning those prizes and more about they really wanted to actually change this industry and have sort of like a positive effect. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear about the experience of, of trying to work with a, a team of new people um, when you were getting advice from mentors and things. What sort of guidance were they giving? Was it was it really early on, or sort of was it was it further down? I think it was quite it was quite staged as far as things because cool. most of the mentors that were coming in were coming in with some uh, area of expertise. Mm-hmm. For example, all occupational therapists who had sort of an expertise in, in sexual therapy, that well, in occupational therapy around sex, 
And there were uh, other industrial designers and material specialists. There were graphic designers. There were people from marketing, um, people who had a huge range of interests. And often, most of the time, you could just sort of flag, have a <laughs> step out of your room and try and flag one down. And they'd sort of all be walking through and you'd sort of pitch where your idea was up with them and they'd sort of discuss it with you. Would they steer you away from pitfalls or, you know, tropes or things that existed already? Yeah, I think I think they did. I mean, for example, with our group, we originally had a... a uh, our original project was quite sort of large in scope, but didn't really have much kind of, um, I guess, sort of innovative meat behind it. So I think they, when as fairly early on in the Saturday, we had a talk with all of them, and they're like, "No, you need to change this, this, and this. This is, this isn't really going to be a, a contributing factor." And we were like, "Oh, thank you," and and sort of took that in into our group, and that made it a lot more like having that sort of honest feedback, but it was also in a very like constructive and helpful way to really sort of empower everyone in the group to sort of you know keep doing their best yeah absolutely um so the 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 winning team which comprised of uh tina funder Yi wang kate howard and maddie matthews came up with um a yet to be named online sex education game aimed at preteens. so that was all about gamification and ruby your team fabulously was the runner-up with jelly can you tell our listeners at home what you came up with um, so from the get-go, we were really looking at diversifying barrier protection. So Sam, whose last name I've completely forgot at the moment, which is terrible of me, um, I will have, I'll have to grab that in a sec, was looking at um, sort of trying to... So there was like looking at other barrier protection forms than condoms. So barrier protection is sort of a, you know, a physical barrier for, you know, protecting against STDs and, and pregnancy and things. And the only sort of major market one at the moment is sort of external condoms, you, internal condoms, uh, dental dams, which is what we were specifically looking at, which is a sort of sheet of latex that is used as sort of a, a physical barrier if you're trying to perform oral sex or between if there's any mo- most sex acts that don't involve a, a penis or a phallic-shaped sex toy. Um, so if you're trying to do one of those, your best bet is a, is, a, is a sheet of latex that is very difficult to find and expensive to buy when it is. And we sort of collectively were like this isn't this isn't the world we want to live in this isn't okay std rates are on the rise this is something we really need to do about so we set out trying to redesign it to make it a bit more like enjoyable to use a bit more pleasurable uh a bit less gendered to sort of get rid of that that kind of that sort of gendered um kind of heterosexual kind of push around yeah yeah it's amazing Um, how some of these things just need a little bit of Good branding, good marketing action, some Fresh some designers <laughs> yeah. involved in the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we sort of took that and and sort of rebranded it around and tried to create sort of a more kind of inclusive but also very accessible brand. We didn't want to create like a boutique product. We wanted mm. to create something that you could find in, you know, the 7-Eleven shelves next to the condoms or something, you know, the places when you probably need it to be rather mm. than... You know, it's some um, boutique oh, <laughs> sex shop that's only open two days a week. Yes, and there's a whole lot of um, a whole lot more curb appeal, so to speak, um, for the word you know jelly as opposed to dental dam, which just reminds you of oh, handing on. over hundreds of dollars at a time to be sitting <laughs> in an uncomfortable chair, hanging upside down with a drill in your face. So not to mention, it's not an occasion for alliteration, really, is it's it? It's not. No. It's completely not. You know, show us your jellies, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did see. Um, 
um, some of the other, there were some really, really interesting um, approaches that some of the other teams came up with. Um, we had a, a non-binary sex education pleasure toolkit for cool parents to buy for their kids. Um, and we did see uh, menopause raise its head a couple of times. Um, one innovation was offering a sensuality as a service, which is a sex toy subscription, which actually includes a teleconsult on pleasure to help uh, women uh, going through menopause with recommendations, as well as um, a prototype of a vibrator and a training app for menopausal women. Um, but we'd love to hear some of the other things you saw. Were there um, any particular presentations on the Sunday afternoon that really appealed to you or surprised you? Uh, the one that stood out to me the most was the sort of prototype vibrator that was designed for people who were going through menopause. Mm. Um, as sort of me with my industrial design background, that kind of product design, mm. that sort of meaty getting into it and actually, you know, thinking about these things, thinking about shape, thinking about all these functional aspects was really good. And yeah. what they came up with was like really interesting and something like, oh, I really want to see where that goes. Um, there was a, a bunch of sort of very interesting things. There was another interesting uh, proposal for like a sort of sex positive and accessible uh, like event space. A lot of kind of um, a lot of kind of sex positive events are very feel very kind of isolating and a bit kind of intense. So if you think about mm. like Sexpo, it's a very big conference hall in it's sort of a bit of like Sexpo is a lot. <laughs> it was like a lot, and um, the group wanted there to sort of exist. Um, something in between that's something that was a lot more kind of so people could you know interact with the sex industry interact with the sex stories and interact with these kind of uh, areas but mm. not have to go into somewhere so overwhelming somewhere that was sort of a bit more like quiet. I love that idea. I yeah. absolutely love that idea because there are a few, um, a couple of places in Melbourne uh, doing a, a, f a few things. I'll say, you know, Bliss in Richmond do a lot mm. of education upstairs yeah. and that's a really lovely space. But uh, Hairs and Hyenas do a lot of educational things. Yeah, they do some fabulous yeah. stuff. Um, uh, they, they were fabulous. They hosted my book launch when I wrote my <laughs> sex education book a million years ago. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some spaces, but I completely agree that they're few and far between – uh, they, they are a little bit niche and can be hard to find yeah. if you don't know what you're looking for. So um, that's really fabulous. One um, one of the team's uh, innovations uh, I thought was very interesting um, was uh, the Respawn VR, which is uh, teaching men about consent via virtual reality, which I thought was, um, you know, an interesting one to tackle. Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think what they're they're working with there was a really interesting issue around sort of consent and around you know this huge thing around like you know uh, sexual assault on campuses and all these horrible things that are happening. And I think yeah. that's I think it's really interesting to see how the various different ways that the people are tackling this. So that that VR one was quite interesting in, in taking something new like VR and applying it to this this space, this is really difficult space that people keep looking at and wanting to fix, but no one quite knows what the best way to do it is. And it is a really, really interesting space because, you know, consent as an education piece is so challenging. It's one thing for a teacher to say it in a room or a parent to say it at home or, you know, mates joshing around. But it's a completely different scenario when people are out on a date or, you know, that they're, they're, you know, standing around in real life. So, um, you know, VR, putting people through an actual simulation and through a series of scenarios, um, obviously this kind of approach is very new um, and it's certainly not mainstreamed yet, but it is definitely an interesting way to tackle what is, you know, viewed by many as a complex issue. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. 
Ruby, it's um, a very challenging range of, of topics to to talk about sometimes. Um, how did the event um, help to uh, sort of scene set for like the scope of, of problems and, and the sort of uh, level of discussion that they wanted to have at their event? Um, I think probably the most useful thing there was on that on the Friday night they had a sort of big talk that I think most of the competitors were at where they really sort of summer, really talked about the space at the moment. They had a lot of speakers come up and talk about what what hackathons are like, but also what the industry is like. What the, what are the, the sort of pros and cons of these various problems? Here's these here's some stats. Here's some things. Here's some some considerations to take in on your projects. And I think that was really good at making people like understand where they were but I think it also made everyone sort of feel quite comfortable so on that night we had various uh, people who came with ideas come mm. up and give pictures and I, and I do want to give a shout out to uh, my friend Sam who I was talking about before uh, Sam Floriani whose name last name I'd forgotten uh, her pitch was what I, I, I signed myself up to around the dental dams and around um, sort of and around barrier protection, but there was heaps of picture pictures. One interesting one was around like disability accessible furniture. So like sex furniture is often like really uncomfortable and like mm. you know weird to get in and out of, and you know times that by disabilities, and you've got a whole range of problems. <laughs> so we wanted yeah. to sort of get some furniture designers to maybe have a look at this. Um, and there were huge other pictures that that were really interesting. And for example, there was one about a sort of sex positive but also like very um, sort of, I guess, feminist intersectional kind of advertising agency Mm. and all these sort of pictures. And I think as people were pitching, people, I guess, started to feel more comfortable going like, oh, no, these are people are talking about this. This is okay." And sort of as people started pitching more and people came up and felt happy to share. And I think sort of by the end of that process, everyone was kind of like, oh, yeah, I think I think I think these are my people. I think I can talk with this. And that was a really good feeling. Well, that's a fantastic note to end on, I think, because we hope that our listeners also feel that way. Um, Sex is often a topic that um, people shy away from talking about as it crosses over with technology and innovation. And yet there's so many um, altruistic, uh, benevolent sort of motivations and problems to be solved in the space. Really great to hear that this hackathon had had a good crack at trying to address some of those issues. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your experience with us, Ruby Quayle. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Uh, you always bite into it for the last little bit. And we have a little bit of a read for you because I don't know if you've heard, but there is an amazing live compilation from all the, uh, well, not from all of, from a bunch of people who've performed live on Breakfasters lately. And it's available now on Bandcamp to stream and download. Now, this compilation was recorded live on Breakfasters from 2018 and 2019. It features over 50 artists, including Lachlan Denton and Emma Rusak, Amal and the Sniffers, Peak Twins, Mojo Juju, Paul Kelly, Jen Tloa, Pinch Points, RVG, Amazing, Cash Savage and the Last Drinks, The Native Cats, 
Gordon Coang, DRMNG Now and more. It's pay what you want for the release with all the money raised going to First Nations Fire Relief and Animals Australia. It's an incredible cause and it's an incredible collection of music. I hope that you had the pleasure of hearing a lot of that go live to air. But now's the time to pitch in on Bandcamp if you're interested. Head to rrr.org.au slash breakfastislive, breakfastislive even for um, more information about that one. Really worth getting on board with. I have heart emoji eyes in excitement at the thought of uh, getting my paws on that. I'll be off to band camp after the show. There's a lot of band camp to do after this. Kenneth, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, really worth looking into. We will tweet a few of the links as well so that our listeners at home, so if you're not already following us on Twitter, we are bite with a Y, bite into it on Twitter and we will retweet and uh, you can connect and download and have a marvellous time. Now, we um, could not ignore all of the coronavirus-related news that's been going on lately. And, Maze, I believe it was you who might have found an article about the impact on technology? Yeah, so uh, last week's show we talked a little bit about a whole lot of conferences coming up and um, already we are starting to see the effects of coronavirus on the next next month. So Facebook already has cancelled one of their San Francisco um big marketing events before GDC mm. and other conferences like South by Southwest and GDC also are putting some stats out and putting messages out about how many um, people coming from the Chinese mainland usually are there and then also what sort of extra hygienic things that they're doing um, and also what sort of online events they might have ready yeah, so you brought up an unintended consequence of, of this um, restriction on travel. What was that? Well, so I love virtual concerts already um, and it seems like China is now going full blast with that. So a lot of people um, are either choosing to stay home or are confined to their houses. And so now there's all of these beautiful bedroom con bedroom concerts by different DJs on a variety of different apps. So often we see them on Twitch and YouTube already, um, but they've got a couple. I think Billy Billy is one of them, um, especially where the different messaging and the different dot points that the audience can contribute really mm. helps create a much bigger vibe. Than yeah, I don't know get. if people have seen some of the, the tools um some of the apps that Chinese people tend to use, mm. but they will let messages drift all over each other, a bit like the way you could sometimes love heart on certain apps when you were streaming them and yeah. sort of show that you're there and you're active. But these, they have an appetite for a much denser display and they will allow far more things to overlay each other and that almost becomes the experience as, as well. Yeah, I mean, often when we talk about live music going towards being virtual concerts, we think, oh, I'm not going to smell the sweat of the rest of the audience members or, you know, I'm not going to be elbowed in the ribs by the windmill dancer next to me. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really nice way of being like, yeah, but you do still get all of the big social interaction. Yeah. You know, everyone gets hyped together, everyone drops together, you know. All right, so you're calling it virtual concerts, massive trend, lower environmental impact. Healthier. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Australian musicians also have been talking about the environmental impact of all of their touring. Like mm. we even have a program now where you can invest in solar farms, which is started by Australian musicians. Yeah, that's so, pretty awesome. Yeah. Something we saw from across the water in Hong Kong, there's a group called OSINT, um, 
and you know open source intelligence uh, kind of group in Hong Kong, and they've launched a product called Shortage Tracker, which was crowdsourced online maps to fight coronavirus. Sorry, this is hard to say. To fight coronavirus panic buying, uh, and what it was doing was tracking supplies of hygiene and food products in Hong Kong that have been in shortage due to the outbreak, um, and it lets people report in where goods are available and alert people to inflated prices. It's just a beta, but um, it has popped up because of demand and it's been a really interesting attempt to solve for a problem. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, and there's definitely hopes that, um, you know, if it works well, um, they'd love to make it available globally to help people find what they need during emergencies of all kinds, not just corona outbreaks and the like. And um, it's an interesting group who is actually creating it. It's a group of developers and amateur intelligence analysts who actually sort of got together, started and are typically focused on the Hong Kong protests. So it really is amazing when um, communities do come together, they have a common good, they can develop some absolutely amazing things that can benefit humanity beautifully. Yeah, so speaking of the common good, there is a great site. It's at info.flutracking.net. And normally they track people's flu symptoms and then they can see the path of the flu through the community. I think it's a really um, uh, valuable kind of service and I contribute to it. Uh, survey responses are uh, anonymous and it, they're really, they can take 10 seconds, maybe 30 if you actually have some symptoms to report. But they're adding some extra features and they're starting to release their surveys early this year because they want to make sure that they can track the severity of coronavirus if there is any community transmission. Um, Survey responses that they had in 2009 when there was a different pandemic going on um, showed that while severe in some, the the occurrences were really mild in most people and it also was able to have a look geographically at where these sort of things were happening. So they need more participants all over Australia if they're going to be successful in tracking things with more detail. So do head to uh, flutracking.net and and check them out and see if it might be something that you're willing to report into. I am very rigorous on not sharing data needlessly, but I think this is a public health benefit. It's anonymous and it's constructive, so I think it's worth doing. You also receive a weekly report and a map of influenza-like illnesses, uh, symptoms as they're occurring around the place in return. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool to get that info. Absolutely. And big thanks to our podcaster, as usual, Yazan Saif, and our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy. Thanks to Maze and Roe for being here with me. I've been Vanessa. We've been Bite Into It, and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.